0: what's going on you beautiful humans welcome back to the life after high school podcast this is your host glenn young i'm grateful and stoked that you are here to listen to my conversation with the exceptional john mann the goal of these conversations is to learn from unique people's stories and experiences these conversations are all centered on the topic of growth and personal development and what it means to get better every day and achieve our wildest goals one of my goals is to rank on itunes and spotify so, how you can help me with that is by giving the podcast a five star rating, leaving a review, and please don't forget to leave your Instagram handle in the review so I can give you a shout out on the next podcast. Thank you very much, and enjoy the show. It's the Life After High School podcast. Awesome, so John, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this, man. I think uh, the few times we've uh, we've been able to speak before and. As I, It's funny, I want to share this with you right away before we get into this, Um, but as I was kind of looking through and doing research and whatnot and kind of diving down into, I guess, your past in a weird way, um, Mm -hmm. I came across something interesting that I wanted to mention to you. Um, For somebody who's rarely, if ever, in front of the camera and who's more behind the scenes, you're very Mm -hmm. well-spoken and articulate. And it's kind oh. of like really impressive. <laughs> like you're really <laughs> well read. And I just wanted to share that with you before we get into that. Cause that's, I was really impressed. Oh, well, like he's not in front of the camera, but he's, he speaks better than most people I, I talk to. So geez. Um,
1: well, I'm speechless. That's uh, what a way to start. Um, I think that that, that's a huge, that's a compliment to my parents for sure. Like they put a lot of stock into um, my mom told me early on that she, for the rest of my life will, Always, any book that I want, she'll buy yeah. it for me. Like, and that was the deal since I was a kid too. Like, any book I wanted, it was like her go-to. As far as uh, she she put up with video games, and she was pretty like accepting of me getting into film as well. But she always said, like, any book, she'd buy it. She reads about a hundred books a year in her retirement, yes. and um, she's just like a bookworm. And my my dad had some pretty Uh, public facing jobs through his career as well. So I kind of grew up around someone who was uh, in the, I mean, I don't want to say he was in the public eye, but he certainly had some public facing jobs. And I I started out in theater, like I was a theater kid from probably the age of like 10 until 15 or so. And then just kind of fell out of it. Sports became bigger part of my life at that time, and theater got kind of squeezed out, but I guess all of those things kind of point to that. Um, I I don't know if anyone's ever told me that before, so I appreciate it. Thank
0: you. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, no no worries at all. No worries at all. I mean it. Um, So take us through kind of maybe for people who don't know you or aren't familiar, take us through kind of your process or your story, sorry, leaving from uh, like post-secondary era kind of until like where we are now, and then we'll kind of go back through it.
1: Cool, yeah. So um, I grew up in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and then went to school at Acadia University, which is um, just a side note about Acadia. It's where I met my writing and producing partner, Rob Ramsey, who is a fan of the show, and or a friend of the show, sorry. Fan also, I'm sure. Um, Amazing. So I went to Acadia, and I studied political science. Um, I originally started out as an English major, and I th- think I was hoping for it to be more of like creative writing um, yeah. which it ended up being more studying the classics and I just I didn't have didn't have that part of my brain at that time at all so it didn't really work out in English and so I switched over to political science and I'm really glad that I did and graduated from Acadia in 2011. And then in twenty thirteen, I studied screenwriting with the New York Film Academy. And since then, for the last ten years, I've been living in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is kind of what led us to Pub Crawl. Those are kind of like the those are kind of the PowerPoint notes of how my life since university has led me to meeting Rob and now being the creator
0: of Crawl. Nice. So is it true? you're the youngest person to have a written something submitted to um, Harvard law school. Like, tell me about that. Yeah. Like you were 22, uh, right? So I'm wondering when in that timeline, like, was that? Oh after yeah. Sci- a, I guess, I'm curious when that yeah, was, um, that's yeah, crazy
1: that's what I've been told. And that was at the time, I think in 20. 12, 2013, Harvard had just turned 375. It was its 375th anniversary. And I had the opportunity. I mean, it's kind of like you're kind of stick handling around this to make this like an actual very niche thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was told that I was the youngest non-graduate of Harvard to present written work. Jeez. Um to be fair. So yeah, I guess that's true on paper, but then it's like my written work was a short documentary that mm-hmm. I was credited as the writer for. Um, and we presented at the, uh, Harvard trade union program in 2012. The film had its premiere there and that was a film called "Drink 'Em them dry. Yeah. And that was, uh, about the, um, there was a lockout at Moosehead breweries, which is in St. John, New Brunswick. And, uh, I just had the opportunity to work on that documentary and um, kind of, it did kind of start me down my path, like into documentary, unscripted work. I was Mm -hmm. fresh out of, that was in between um, Acadia and the New York Film Academy. So I was just kind of getting my feet wet in the film side of things. Like obviously I was always a huge cinephile before that, but didn't realize it. And then when that film started to have, more success and reaching like a way broader audience than I ever thought that it would, it kind of did help to think like, Oh, maybe there is a career path in this. Yeah. Um, so that's when I started to apply to a bunch of film schools to try and do my master's in screenwriting. And, uh, I was working full time at the time and A lot of the film schools that I got into, I would have been like an international student at a lot of these um, Mm. schools that I got into. So there's more of a tax on international students at those schools. And plus, I was getting into schools in places like Prague, London, New York, L.A., and I just like could not ever afford that to not only go to these schools but also live there and the new york film academy had a uh, i got into the master's program there and we kind of worked something out it sounds so funny that we worked it out and now it's like an everyday thing i did classes from home so in halifax i was able to complete my screenwriting um classes homework everything uh like the first work from home situation I'd been in my life was the New York film Academy, I suppose. And now it's just like
0: an everyday thing for everyone. Nice. Right. So with that and how kind of like, what are you looking back kind of on that time period? Let's go before pub crawl. What do you believe is um, like, do you have a favorite piece that you've worked on so far? Like, f- oh, or, uh, that's a great
1: question. We, I, um, it's always weird to, like, watch the stuff, and especially...
0: Do you watch theater. the stuff back once it's, like, published and stuff? Or do you get, Every, like, anxious about that? Yeah, like, no.
1: I, I get super anxious about it. I get very anxious about it. I get really nervous being at... If I'm ever at a film festival, or have to, like, present the film as a Q&A, and then
0: that sit never there in the easy, theater. Right?
1: Uh, not for me. I think that huh. it's... It get, yeah. I mean... I think that it gets easier on like a project by project basis. Like the first time you present a film, it's terrifying. The fifth time you're presenting that same film, it's a uh, little bit easier. Right. Um, and now I find watching it from home alone, I do it not often, but like I'll watch a short film maybe once a year that I'm made. And there are some cringeworthy moments about like, just like young filmmaking choices or young writing choices or young directing choices or whatever. Um, but we I directed a short called Missy and that ended up being um, purchased by CBC for distribution. And mm-hmm. that movie I'm strangely like every year I'm like, okay, this is the time that I'm gonna hate Missy and something I'm gonna I'm gonna <clears throat> notice something that I've never seen before. Yeah. And then each year, it's just like, oh, this was pretty. That was pretty good. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, not, so I guess like that's the low bar that I've set. Is yeah.
0: that
1: as far as like favorite projects? It's like I missy isn't bad.
0: <laughs> so what I'm curious about is, so what level of success, I guess, kind of seemed realistic to you when you first started out your filmmaking career? or Like what? would you, what like accomplishment, like was the bare minimum accomplishment that you had to feel that you've like, this is a success or I've made it in this industry? Uh, I just wanted to be able to pay rent.
1: Like that was honestly, that was the goal. It continues to be <laughs> the goal. and like <laughs> it, uh, It's just like such a, it's this whole industry seems like such a playground and such a, like, it doesn't feel like I have a job ever like I there's a lot of a lot, ton of work that goes into it but yeah, as far as true. having a job um it's not it's kind of a dream life for me just to be able to support myself doing the things that I do um so yeah I guess like uh, success is a intimidating
0: subjective weird word yeah it's very term too
1: yeah I was yeah. always just like really excited to be involved and be on set and see things behind the scenes. Like I fell in love with movies right around the time the DVD DVDs came out and they started all of a sudden having like bonus features. Yeah. So I got to see like behind the scenes of how movies were being made when I was like in grade seven and like very being able to be influenced by that kind of stuff. That's where yeah. I was interested in movies before that, but then when that stuff came out, I was like sold and like watching a DVD, like the perfect storm and then being able to watch like the bonus features on that. I was just like completely blown away and just always wanted to be around other people. Like I grew up playing team sports. So that was always a big thing for me. And my family's really close and I always just wanted to be around cool funny people right and so that has always just kind of stuck with me as far as as far as success goes like i feel very successful in the sense that i get to do this every day and make shows with my friends and make movies with my friends and hopefully try and tell stories that people otherwise wouldn't be able to see or hear and um yeah super fortunate
0: (laughs) I think looking in from an outsider into the industry, it seems like a lot of fun. Like, yes, there's Mm -hmm. the work aspect to it. That's kind of just goes, that's kind of synonymous with anything you're doing, especially if you're trying to make something out of that industry. But I think it looks so much fun from an outsider. Cause like you said, being able to go around, meet all these new people and share stories that are not just, which to me is what intrigues me a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Is and we'll get like more dive into the pub girl aspect after, but that's what kind of gravitated me towards like your style and stuff like being able to kind of like bite-size films and being able to tell a story that doesn't seem rushed to mm-hmm. the point or dragged out is incredible. And even like after we chatted last week or last weekend, sorry, I went watched like multiple videos on the act structure and you're right. It did absolutely ruin movies because after I watched that in my head, the way I think John is, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go watch more movies now and then try to point it out. Bad idea. Bad idea. Yeah, like, yeah. I shouldn't have done it's that a good, exor- yeah.
1: good exercise. Good exercise as far as uh, like strengthening those writing muscles or whatever. But yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's like you said, it's fun. And this is what mm-hmm. I find fun. And there are a lot of parts of the job that wouldn't necessarily be fun to other people, but that's fair about jobs that I don't like, I don't have that other people get complete joy out of. And I think, oh man, that would be a nightmare for me, like personally. But then there's a lot of stuff about filmmaking that is a huge drag to other people. And I just find it kind of fascinating. There's so many, so many roles in film, like whether you are like, Producing is so much different from editing, and editing is so much different from writing, and all of those things are so much different from directing, and um, something about my personality, I just, those are the things that I like to do, so Mm. it just happens to be this kind of uh, job or position, or whatever you want to call it, that uh, for whatever reason, I just
0: really enjoy Nice. Now you mentioned like all the different roles or hats one might wear. What's, do you have a favorite or what's kind of the difference between them? Like my, my, my big curiosity point on that is what's the difference, I guess, between producer and director. Cause they, I kind of have the general Mm -hmm. like oversight of what I think they might be, but just to clarify, cause I feel there's a lot more to it.
1: Sure. Um,
0: And like, I don't want to,
1: I don't want to give a definite, I can't give like a definition that everyone will agree on, but what I think about it is so producing is a lot of literally like project management is probably the best way to think of that. It's like, okay, we need to say you're filming a scene in a bar. It requires four actors, a team for sound, a team for camera and, we need to buy a location to film there for that day. And it needs to all happen on March the 12th between noon and 4 PM. It's the producer's job to make that happen. So you're on the phone a lot and you're answering a lot of emails when you're a producer. Um, there's a lot of stress when it comes to producing. Cause like I said, it's like you have to like, if you don't plan that it doesn't happen. Like there's no alternative to it. Like, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So there's yeah. a lot of pressure there. But then it's kind of a fun part of the job because you get to pitch yourself and pitch a project to people who will then like either say like, yeah, I want to be involved in that. What can I do? And whether Mm. that's like the owner of a bar that you need to rent out or that you need to use their space or a sound person that you're trying to find. It's a lot of problem solving. Right. Um, Amazing which can be fun and can be really stressful. And then oh, yeah. directing is very much like when you on the day, when you walk into the set, it's like, it's your vision of what this thing is going to look like when it's completely done and no mm-hmm. one else can see that but you at that point. So there is a lot of um, like trusts involved in that and getting people to sign off on trusting you as far as whatever your vision is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just also being on set is a ton of fun too.
0: Yeah. Um, it always looks like then, a blast.
1: Yeah. that That's being on set is the most rewarding part of the job, I think. Um, and also like from a production standpoint, like producing standpoint, I love to be able to hire people and like nice. offer them jobs and like find people that I haven't worked with before or find people that I have worked with before. And it went really well. And it's like, seeing old friends again once you guys all walk on the set and everybody's kind of together and um, yeah so there's that's kind of the difference i suppose between producing and directing
0: now do you have an example of uh, somebody that like you said um, made kind of a bigger impact on you in terms of working experience than you expected them to have like it's oh i'm hiring them to fill this position but at the end of the day it's like oh, man, that went really well, really cool person. We became friends, like, that kind of thing. Do you have an example of that? Somebody made an impact that way? Yeah, well,
1: if you think about it, like, um, Rob and I were on the same floor in residence at Acadia. and Amazing. And at, at that time, like, he was in theater, and I was in political science, hadn't done anything in film at all. And he was, like, this big, cool actor who – in the summers away from Acadia would go back to Toronto and be in like Disney shows and whatever, and then yeah. come back and tell us all about it in the fall. And um, so then Rob, after I went to the New York film Academy and I sent him my thesis film, because that entire program was like based around us developing like a 120 page script, the three act structure that we talked about the other day. Yeah. I Love sent it. it to Rob and just, because he was someone I knew in the industry. And I honestly think I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Uh, <laughs> but we were in Acadia together, yeah. at Acadia together. Amazing. And, uh, and he was doing Blue Mountain State at the time. So oh, yeah. I think he was in Montreal Huge. or he, he may have been in L.A. at this point. Yeah. And um, he read it and was like, this is cool. We should, like, write a short together. And that was in 2012
0: so nice 2011
1: 2012 end of 2011 early 2012 rob and i like started working together and then um yeah he's one of my best friends so i guess that's a really good opportunity and that's so cool yeah from the from like the other end of the spectrum is my best friend growing up is a guy named mike corby and mike and i looking back we were talking to somebody like this week we were like yeah i guess looking back like we went to a lot of movies as kids and like rented a lot of movies and yeah. went to blockbuster a lot and then, <laughs> um, oh, then when things started happening as far as like short films and when we like rob and i were not we had zero experience producing or anything like that we made a short film and mike was like yeah i'll come down and i can help like i'll do whatever you need me to do like yeah. i'll drive people, I'll pick up coffees in the morning, whatever. Um, It should also be mentioned that Mike Corby is like possibly the funniest human being on the planet. Amazing. And uh, so that kind of shifted into on two short films of mine. He was then my uh, first assistant director. And then on first season of Pub Crawl, he was a production coordinator and now season two, he's a producer. So it's Rob, Mike, and I are the yeah. producers on Pub Crawl. I'm like, so it's kind of like Rob. We started out as like, hey, will you do you remember me? Will you please read this thing? And now we're like, yeah, best buds. And Corby and I started out like best friends, who are now and now the three of us are producing together. Amazing. Another side note to that story was Corby was my roommate at Acadia so he also knew rob as long as i had. so Come the three on. of us working together is pretty like pretty easy you know what nice. I mean? like my yeah no my, my meetings that i have are with oh, and Rob. so it's uh it's a blessing
0: to work yeah with those two. now from what you're saying and from like a uh, couple uh conversations i've had with rob in the past how do you guys like focus and get work done because it sounds like you're just like um like yeah it sounds like a blast but at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm like, oh, does that not take away from because I have friends who I've done work with and we get nothing done in the yeah. time. So I'm wondering how you manage to kind of compartmentalize the friendship. It's, or...
1: um, yeah, that's uh, it's hard. It's really hard because what Rob and I try and do is like we speak every day and Zoom calls are hard to get work done or focus on yeah, or whatever so once a year we try to get together like for a week and we typically go somewhere remote um nice. so we've been to we went to a place called Ojai California a couple of years ago and we both lived in a trailer together Amazing. just like zero distractions and then like off the glass yeah pretty much pretty oh, off the grid nice. like we there was one no. night we were like, we got to get out of here. We got to like call a cab and um, like let's go out for dinner or something. And we called a cab, and they were like, the earliest I can be there. Let's say we called at six p.m. and they're like, we can be there at eight thirty. And there's no guarantee you'll be able to get home. And it's like, okay, um, come on. So yeah, we just try and get away from stuff because we do get pretty distracted and. And then another, another example, we went to a cottage in Northern New Brunswick this year, we're going to a cottage in Northern Ontario. And it is just to like, like get ourselves away from as much distractions. And honestly, by day two or three, I know that we drive each other crazy. So honestly, it's, and it's like what I said before, it's like, we realize that like, no one's going to do this work for us. Right. So let's do this work kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, there are times when I start to stray and he's really good at bringing me back and keeping me in, keeping me interested in a project that we're working on, keeping me involved or like, kind of like reality checking me. And then there are other times where I can do the same for him. So that works really well mm-hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, typically it's like, first couple of days it's like oh we can we'll start up in the morning and then we wake up in the morning it's like well okay let's start at three we have some like stuff to do around the house or whatever yeah. and then by day three or four it's like okay we're running out of time it's very much like it's a group project every time i guess is nice. the best way to uh to
0: describe it oh, that's awesome um so yeah. what i'm uh, wondering a bit about um do you what's the what's your creative process like between it comes to documentaries versus like films and tv shows and stuff like that like is there a specific set of things you do to kind of dive into what you want what story you want to tell or is there just like it depends on the project
1: i think that um it certainly matters or changes depending on the i was gonna say it matters the project matters it depends on the project um some it it's funny what the motivations can be. Like I mentioned Missy Mm -hmm. and Missy was, we had a friend's cottage. It was a great location. And we were like, what could we use this location for? And it was Rob and I's second short film together. And so Rob was going to act in it. So then it became like, okay, what could we do with this location? And like just Rob as an actor, Mm -hmm. as the only person in the film, And so that kind of came out of that. So you write it and you send it to whoever you need to send it to for notes. They give you notes back. You keep like, kind of like, first you start off with like a machete and then you go in with a steak knife. And then by the end of it, you're using like a fine tooth comb kind of thing when you're going through a script. Um, And then, so that's, I mean, that's like a narrative short, I guess, but then documentary or unscripted stuff, it's very much it's the same process, but it's different, I guess, is the best way yeah. to put it. Like, um, I'm working on a project right now where it's very historical in a sense, but it's almost how, how the four past 400 years affected this man's life. And then how will this man affect the next 400 years or the next seven yeah. generations? And, um, with that one, it was about, like if you're looking at the three X structure, it's the same thing. And it's like, okay, well, where's our midpoint? What happened to him? What's his midpoint? What is Canada as a whole's midpoint? Um, and it's kind of, it's the same questions. Um, but with documentaries, you certainly start to like turn over some rocks that you didn't think that you would. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that happens when you're writing narrative as well, but, um, yeah, it always, it always has to start with a good story, I guess, this is my very long-winded answer for
0: that question. Nice. So if it's, uh, it's related to the story that we, uh, yeah, the story we kind of talked about a bit uh, this past weekend, but so I was telling a friend of mine, uh, actually newer friend of mine, um, met a couple of weeks ago, but I was telling him that this kind of Tuesday about like the episode and stuff and kind of give him like a bit of a history on like some cool stuff you've done and you're doing mm. and so i mentioned that and he then segued so he's I'm not going to give away the name but he's going to be directing an outdoor center during the summer right up yeah. in uh in ontario and he's making the executive decision to not do O canada every morning oh interesting yeah so typically i'm not sure if you're familiar how those are run but when there's a group they usually get what would happen is we would get a group of people like the cabins or all the people right group up and do morning circles like any announcements weather, Mm -hmm. like what's the meal breakfast of the day whatever right yeah yeah. exactly and then they always do O canada and they've been doing that every year since i've been but Mm -hmm. he's like i'm going to make the conscious decision not to and i'm not making a thing where i'm going to tell people it's just something that's not going to happen and like he cool. told me went down the road about why and I'm like amazing love it. And mm-hmm. then he's like, "Yeah, I haven't actually told anybody else." I was like, "Oh, that's terrifying," but <laughs> right, right on. Trust my face. So, yeah, um, no kidding. So yeah,
1: that we, was interesting. Every day at my high school, we stood for O Canada. Every which single day, it just wasn't a thing then. I suppose, or just like, yeah, it just is what you did. So that was it
0: yeah and it's yeah. No, just taking it away so I was like huh interesting but yeah that's kind of he segued that out after me sharing what uh kind of bits of whatever you shared me about the uh the documentary series uh the documentary so I was like oh no way I was just like curious I was like huh interesting just yeah I'm not gonna share that
1: I think there were certainly I mean what happened in loops and what continues to happen across Canada at the residential school um, on those lands is something that like we can't I don't know sweep under the rug anymore and I think that there's going to be a lot of fallout good and bad or depending on what side of the coin you're on um, how you just like subjectively say what is good and bad on that Those issues. Um there's gonna be I think there's a lot of changes coming, and I've noticed it in the last two years. In Halifax, we have a lot of we have a lot of um conversations now about statues coming down and high schools having their names changed. And um it it came up as weird as it sounds, but it came up in season two of Pub Crawl with one of the locations that we were at. And um, you like I said, you just need to be able to show people stories that they won't typically otherwise hear, mm-hmm. and I think I am hopeful that people are empathetic enough that it won't be them being hit at a left field when they start to hear about some of these things. So when we submitted that particular episode um, for season two mm-hmm. uh, to Bell, I was I was nervous only in the sense because it was like complete right turn on the fun Irish bars that we typically go to or like the big Friday nights that we have in Halifax and that is what the show has become which is great and we should celebrate those places but we couldn't ignore um, the true history of some of these places so uh, I was a little bit nervous that we had kind of taken a right turn for one particular episode bell was fully supportive loved it from the get-go nice and it is certainly the um the episode that i've heard i've had the most feedback about which makes me super happy and i think in not only from like uh it's a pub crawl so i'm glad people are enjoying it but um just gives me kind of some hope that no one has thrown a rock at their tv while watching that episode so
0: (laughs) yeah i definitely haven't and well, that'll segue uh, nicely into kind of, uh, into the pub crawl conversation okay. I want to have. So, so the other day, so I watched it, right. So I went to my folks house awesome. and now, yeah, so you caught that. I watched it. I, um, my mom was born and raised in Halifax. And so oh, I was no like, way. yeah, so I was like, mom, I'm watching this. Um, if you want to bond, I used a trigger word with her. So I was like, if you want to bond, <laughs> sit on the other couch. We can watch this together. And then so, yeah, every single bar, it was kind of it was kinda funny because of how I was just, I was like, this is like, I've had him on, I'm like, we're going to be discussing this. And she's like, oh, no way. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. And she's like, oh, cool. And then she's like, she was really, really invested. It was really cool to see. She's like, oh, I've been there. And like the excitement kind of, I didn't expect. Awesome. I was just like, oh, it's filmed in Halifax. You might get a kick out of it. And yeah. it turned into like being like, shh, I'm watching this. I want to <laughs> it. you know, so... You yeah, know what's funny is what?
1: that um, uh, one thing that I wasn't that we didn't aim for but mm-hmm. was great about season one and then we, I'm sure it's happening with season two as well was that we had a lot of people say like, people from out west saying that like, oh my dad went to SMU or my mom went to DAL in the 70s or the 80s no. and they they see an episode like the lower deck and they're like, oh my God, I haven't been there since nineteen eighty four. It looks the exact same. And like those kind of stories are like, yeah, just buddies who we didn't even think of like what we weren't expecting were we we thought of a lot of people like, okay, Halifax will be a pretty like good audience for us, Nova Scotia, the Maritimes, maybe people who left Halifax and now live in Toronto or Vancouver or whatever will get them but we totally didn't think of the people who just came out here for four years of university and then left again and they became like a staple as far as like our audience goes. So that was amazing. super amazing. Cool. Yeah, that was great. And like amazing. my dad was one of them. Like my dad grew up in New Brunswick, but went to Dow. Oh, nice. So he was always like pitching me bars that I should go, that we should do. And it's like, dad, that bar has been closed since like 1994. Yeah. He's like, what?
0: <laughs> what, what do you mean
1: yeah no. but that's a, that's a no, cool thing about the show is that like when you tell people that that's what you work on people get it immediately like you oh, don't yeah. have to explain what the show is and honestly most conversations people start pitching me bars like immediately because everybody has that neighborhood bar that they used to go to or the first time I turned 19 or the first time I successfully used a fake ID or (laughs) my dad and I used to go to this one all the time or my mom and I every Friday after work would meet here like all these every community has one um and so yeah that's been that's been an awesome that's been
0: an awesome experience hearing those stories from people too I think like I used uh it's funny you mentioned that I used a fake ID story like I have a fake ID story from, I don't know the name. It was in like 2000 and I think 15. Cause I had a good buddy who lived in Halifax for like, I met yeah. him first semester, we clicked and then he moved. So he moved out there. So I'd, I'd gone like three or four different times, um, like out and back and from Ottawa. And mm-hmm. so I had turned 18, but the nice thing with Ottawa is Quebec's right there. So you get an extra year, but as I'm sure you and many other people, watching and listening will relate the first year post-secondary is a write-off like it's just it's just gone but um what ended up happening is so my birthday is july 1st so it's 0701 so i was turning this is going yeah Yeah. i was turning so when i went my buddy was born in like march or something i think mid-march so when it was april and then late April, May, when we I went up with him the first time, or went to visit him, sorry, the first time, I was able to use that two months before. Nothing crazy. I was like, oh, it's two mm-hmm. months away. But it was like, uh, excuse me, sir, your birth, uh, it says July 1st. Like, no, it's actually Ontario, 1st yeah. of, uh, worked, 7th of eh? January. Yeah, yeah, it worked. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it was great. I've got a crazy one.
1: Uh, someone that I grew up with, when she got her driver's license, they just completely messed up the year so on her Um, what was actually her 18th birthday her driver's license legally said she was 19. no yeah and she just like never mentioned it obviously like i was like that's pretty good for a 16 year old to have like i don't know if she noticed it on the spot or what but uh Yeah. See, there's like, again, everybody has those kinds of stories and um, it's been awesome to try and like shed light on as many of those as possible in Halifax.
0: Yeah. Now, how did, how did that kind of get from your perspective, right? How did that kind of get started? Like pub crawl as a whole, how did that from the idea to kind of where we are now?
1: Yeah. So it would have been around this time, 2020. So the pandemic was like pretty fresh. Maybe it was more so May, and, um, it's funny cause like I pitched the show never thinking about the pandemic, like bars at the time when I pitched the show were closed, right. with no end in sight kind of thing. And I don't know if Bell overlooked that as well, but, um, the pitching process and them agreeing to it was all pretty quick. Like I sent them a few ideas. They particularly wanted to talk about Pub Crawl. Mm -hmm. Hey, John, can we set up a time to chat? They loved the idea of Rob as a host, like things really moved quite quickly. And so that was in May and by August, we were shooting season one right in between like the first and second wave out here. And we did like our government did a great job with COVID for the longest time and um, bars opened up again, thankfully. Rob flew in and had to quarantine for two weeks. Like we had to bring him out two weeks sooner than originally expected. So that was like, talk about like producing, that was like a producing issue for a while and moving budget around to make sure that Rob had a place for two weeks and had groceries for two weeks and everything like that. Um, So yeah. And then we shot season one. And what was great about season one is that we went to these bars with not like we had nothing other than um, we have a show with Bell, mm-hmm. and this is what we're up to, and okay. we really like to come film here, and all of them to a T were like, "Yeah, immediately, yes, please." I think that they needed a bit of good news kind of thing, like they needed a positive story. Yeah, so they were all so enthusiastic about having us in they were all great and then with season two when we actually had um we got word from bell that we were renewed that was amazing um it was amazing for like 10 minutes and then we were like oh man we gotta like we gotta get back to work like we gotta make a season two now and so um we started going out to other bars and it was much much um i don't want to say. It wasn't any easier, but it was much simpler to be able to say, like, we have a show. Some of them had seen it, which was awesome. Nice. And the pitching pitching to bars for season two was much easier because we were like, hey, here are the episodes from season one. If you yeah. want to be involved, we would love to chat with you. And nice. um, yeah, and our, our goal with season two was like, we didn't want to recreate the wheel at all, but we wanted to just make it that 10 to 15 percent better we wanted to just like take the show to the next level um we were able to secure some like famous Haligonians as far as like the locals go and Mm -hmm. the way that the show works is um rob starts an episode and goes into a bar and chats with like a manager or an owner or whoever and then starts talking to someone typically just at the other end of the bar and then that person is a local who Um, that's their watering hole kind of thing. And then they suggest the next bar and that sends us sends Rob on the pub crawl. Mm -hmm. So this, this season we were able to get some like higher profile Pelagonians who had seen the show and liked the show or had reached out. And um, it just became like uh, it was a bit more fun of a process because we all knew what we were doing and we all knew what worked from season one and what didn't. And it made each day a little bit, all like they weren't 12 hour days anymore. They were eight hour days because we knew we didn't have to dedicate so much time over here. We could dedicate it to here or whatever, like the schedule became easier. And, um, and now we're able to just try and promote the show as much as possible. And hopefully we get a ton of people to watch it and hopefully the majority of them like it.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope so too. Like I'm, I'm rooting for you guys for sure. I uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, man, for sure. My, uh, my two favorite parts. I'm gonna hopefully tell you right now. Um, one, they're tied. Like they're for whatever reason, but Rob's lines at the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah like over the B roll, like just yeah. the one liners. I think he said tap the keg. Or, he said carpe dead. And I uh, just like a couple things. There are a couple different ones he used. I can't quite oh, remember crappy, exactly. crap!
1: Crappy, crappy DM. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> like, oh no! I like. Yeah. I could not stop laughing at those. So those paired with that amazing intro. Oh, like, awesome! Like Both. Yeah. yeah. Got me. Both two different things completely. That and then because I already knew kind of what to expect from a storytelling aspect from season one, mm-hmm. which I, which mm-hmm. sold me on watching. Season two and us being here, so yeah, so those those two things just got me really hyped up. I just got to kick that's off. awesome. So and
1: that was like that was always the goal.
0: Editing um, the
1: intro was like
0: we had the
1: opportunity to use this like our great uh, theme song is by an artist, a local artist, I believe he's Cape Breton originally, and now he's Toronto by um, a DJ named Shreem. And nice. we, we the first time we heard the first time Rob and I heard the song, it was pitched to us about another project that we were doing and it just didn't work out and we didn't use it. And then when we were thinking of what the theme song for pub crawl could be, we were like, remember that song by the guy Shreen? And we yeah. were like, yeah. So we reached out to them and that was just supposed to be like, the intro is just supposed to be a hype video. A hundred percent, like um, 40 seconds. Of, like, it. And trying really hard with like the beat drop and like, Dropping the needle on the song and having a good kind of outro line, whether it's um, the voiceover, as you mentioned in the beginning, Mm -hmm. to line up with that needle drop at the beginning, or having a great exit line um, before the outro of the show after they agree to what bar Rob's going to go to next. Like the uh, trying to keep that recency effect as high as possible Mm -hmm. um, at the end of each episode so people to watch whatever was coming up next yeah um but yeah you just reminded me that season one we got a lot of uh, season one's particular in particular we got a lot of uh quality feedback i guess that's kind of uh, how season two bloomed was out of the feedback that we got from season one so um honestly never we always that was always the goal was to get renewed but uh, we were happy with even the way season one ends, it's like, that could be the series. And then we tried to do that with the end of season two as well, just like, because we don't know. And um, yeah, it's been like, it's been a pretty crazy ride the last couple of years. Nice.
0: Well, I'm curious. What, um, what did you guys do in season two or like what lesson did you learn from season one that you did or didn't do in season two?
1: Ooh uh that's such that's such a good question um we made sure (laughs) um first of all we were a very well oiled machine after season one because it is like a hectic it's a sprint and it's a marathon if that makes any sense like (laughs) as far as the shooting days go um we knew how to be like more confident with what we were asking of people, whether it was bar managers, owners. Um, we did have more of a leg to stand on with season two. Um, and we did kind of all agree that we wanted to take bigger swings with season two. So, um, but as far as like lessons learned from season one, um, I think that we did a good job. Like we never really dealt with any diva bar owners. Amazing. Which was like pure luck season one. But also we, there was one bar in particular that the community, so we've done 13 bars at this point and I've gotten to know the owners and the managers for each of these locations and they're all great people. And you kind of get they kind of have like a little bit of insight in that community. And there is a bar in town that they told us to avoid. They're like, you don't want to deal with.
0: Like all of people. them said
1: that. Yeah.
0: Cause they would ask like, who else
1: are you doing? What other bars are you doing? Wow. Like blah, blah, blah. Have you ever thought of this place or that place? Or some of them also like they made recommendations as far as like, Oh, you should speak to Victor at Seahorse or you should speak with Joe at Dirty Mm Nellies, or have you reached out to blah, 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 this place. And then, um, yeah, one, there was like after the third or fourth time that someone said like, Oh, how were they to deal with kind of thing about this one bar then it just became, okay, let's not, Yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to have, it's hard enough doing these things it's hard enough to get through a day on set and it's hard enough to produce those episodes so it's like if we can keep like the vibe on set um up and happy and jovial and you know beers at the end of every day with everybody cuz everybody enjoys each other's company For sure. um that was great i think one lesson we may have learned from season 1 was to like take it easy a little bit at take the it end easy. of these days like oh yeah you arrive at a most days we would arrive at the bar at 10 a.m and we would do the interview and it's like i don't know how many bars you've been in at 10 a.m when they're empty before they open but it's certainly an handful more than i'd like to admit i'm sure (laughs) yeah um it's an odd yeah you gotta go pick up your debit every once in a while but like it is an odd feeling and sometimes by the end of the day, there were a few days where it's just like, we got to get out of here. Like we've been here for 12 hours and it's starting to fill up. And most of the time you are completely sober and then people start recognizing Rob and it just becomes a shit show very quickly. And we have know. tons of equipment that need to get out to the van to get down here. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, season two, I think we were all just a little bit more mature about everything nice. as far as like nice. <laughs> wrapping up the end of the day. Not to say, though, um, there like the night that we went to, we filmed an episode at Dirty Nellie's on a Saturday, and then we had Sunday and Monday off. Nice. And the owners and the managers at Dirty Nellie's were so supportive and so happy for us to be there that they got us a table that night with it's like they had a live band and everything and it was mm-hmm. uh that was that was a uh, that was a
0: big late Saturday night <laughs> amazing yeah. amazing so why uh so for people who don't know it's about pub crawls, about six seven episodes season seasons mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. 12 to like 15 minute long episodes designed to be and rob said this i believe it was a while that we chatted but it was it's meant to be bingeable
1: oh totally yeah like yeah i think the best
0: compliment that i
1: maybe my favorite compliment or feedback is that people said that they would either they would hear about the show on a saturday night out with friends and then they would watch it the next morning on the couch kind of thing Amazing. In each episode, as mentioned, like they do roll into each other very well. Where at the end of the end of the Dirty Nellies episode, someone says Barely's, and a minute and a half later, we're there with yeah. Rob speaking with the manager at the start of episode four, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, definitely, like that's a really, really good way of putting it. And um, like you mentioned, like short form filmmaking and short form storytelling is so important. Yeah. And um, they're obviously, like, I grew up watching the three-act Hollywood 90-minute films, and I love those to death. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you just want to be able to consume something a little bit quicker. So, yeah, that, that was another another great comment that we got was the, the sh- season one came out the day that Nova Scotia went back into lockdown. I think it was November. It would have been November 2020. So that's when the second wave officially started. And so a lot of people were watching it with friends on Zoom. Like That was their Saturday night. It was because they couldn't go out. So they would like get buddies together. Um, Specifically thinking of a guy in Toronto who I used to work with and he went to Dow. And so him and all of his former roommates got together on Zoom and watched the show because it was all their bars kind of thing that they used to go to. And it was like the closest thing that they could have to um to actually going out at that time and being social and seeing other people so um yeah that was that was just that was super cool and they use it as like their pre-drink thing so nice too we lean into that a bit and we have like an official drinking game yes. for season two yes. and um and yeah um yeah
0: amazing bingeable bingeable mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the, that was the trigger word. And I was like, it's perfect. Um, So as kind of everything like not comes to an end, but I guess as everything kind of, you've done a lot of different projects, right. And worked on a lot of different things and stuff. And now what is one thing you wish you knew before starting your own production company? How to do taxes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, That is a
1: good one. Important. Um, um, I think that for a long time I was I was reluctant to had just an ego about getting out and meeting people and being social and like Mm -hmm. being social within the industry. Like thinking I could do it all myself, which is such bullshit. (laughs) Um, That was such a stupid thing to think. So I I just try and get out and meet as many people as I can and. Um, being like the pub crawl guy or whatever a lot of them, you just go for a beer with people after work and meet them and meet cool filmmakers and photographers in town and um, these are people who end up like working on the show or working on any kind of project that I'm doing and um yeah just realizing that like it is such a collaborative industry and not to be precious about any ideas that you have and 9 people out of 10 are trying to help you and want to help and are good people. Um I think that there are certainly there are snakes in the grass like there are in any industry. Oh yeah. Um but it's I mean I I just think that people do inherently want to be helpful and honestly like no matter how successful they are to a degree they will get something out of a conversation with a filmmaker who's just starting out as well. So yeah. um, I've, I've been really fortunate to meet some really cool people just by cold calling or cold emailing and just trying to like expand my circle a little bit. Nice. It's like what the story I told about Rob earlier, like that's yeah. what we met was
0: a cold email 10 years it, ago. Is it not cool though? How like the, I've, and I stress with people the, like severity of the like the cold call or the cold message or something that's the re like reaching out right because i'll tell for example with the podcast right i'll tell somebody about the guests i'm ha- having on and they're like how like how do you mm-hmm. meet this these right. like what's going on yeah. they're so different they're all of different whatever abilities and skills and they're all just all really cool people so i'm like well and i just tell them like, just yeah ask yeah, right, yeah. Right. You're not like, gonna get it. Like you just I've never had somebody say no. no. Right. Like I've never I've never they just don't see it. Which is and it, is,
1: better. it it is interesting. Like I had a uh, a conversation recently about pub crawl and how and I'm sure you can relate to it with hosting a podcast and producing your own podcast. It's like it's a, kind of a win win. Like mm. the show is It's great for us when people say yes, that they want to be involved, whether again, it's a bar or someone that we can interview. Um, It's free publicity for the most part for these bars um, and marketing material for them and content Mm -hmm. for them and their social media. And like, I think that there is a lot more of that that can happen, but people do get frozen or whatever, or caught in their own head about like, well, I don't want to be come off as pushy or whatever. And it's like, well, then you just don't, don't come off as pushy then.
0: It's pretty easy to not. Yeah. It's pretty easy to do that. And if you're a genuinely good person, being able to make that connection, it just, just, it's going to happen. Like there's got to be less stress on it.
1: Yeah. And I find like you, it's a fine line between like, you know, you get, A random DM about, like, hey, we want you to be an influencer for our clothing company on Instagram or whatever that copy and paste message is. Horrendous. Getting, like, getting a genuine, like, hey, I really think your stuff's cool. Yeah. Um, I would love to take you out for a coffee or a beer sometime and bend your ear about the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and like it, I, I, to your point, like, I don't think it's ever worked for me where I'm like, hey, I'm John. I really need this from you. It's always been like, it's like a slow burn. And that's, I mean, you meet, sorry, it's a slow slow burn. And like you meet people instead of like, you meet the person first, as opposed to meeting the, the professional job version of them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a way better. That's a way better approach, I think. And you should just surround Mm -hmm. people surround yourself with people that you would want to spend a lot of time with, stressy time with on stress Mm. on (laughs) stressy time with on set. Um, (laughs) because like at the end of the day, they're the ones who usually get you through it. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, so yeah, that's how that's been kind of my approach. And that's a long winded answer of saying like, I wish I had, I wish I'd had the confidence and the ability to know how to approach those professional situations. Um, as far as networking goes earlier.
0: Right. And I think that that comes with that one specifically, though, the problem is you can't, you only get better by doing more of it and building like Force, a resilience yeah. to people saying no. So it's mm-hmm. like you need a hundred people to say no before you're used to somebody saying no, so that yeah, it's a weird, it was a weird thing. Like I had a friend of mine and I were talking about this like rejection therapy was the idea of mm-hmm. like asking for things with the intent of them saying no because if they say no, you've succeeded in building that resilience to it but then (laughs) the times that i used it it was really weird because the times i'd use it i would just ask these people i know like around town for these like absurd things and they just they're like yeah okay that's not supposed to happen like they're not supposed to say yes so it's stuff like that it's like you build the resilience to it but in this in the same time you get these people saying yes to something that they're supposed to say no to or you expected them, I guess would be better. Mm -hmm. Right. So,
1: yeah. And it's funny too, because I have, I have friends and I, I don't, I don't have any problem reaching out to people. I never have, but I think I just got better at how to communicate myself when reaching out Smart, and I know people who are like tremendously successful in this or in this industry. And they, would rather do stand-up comedy in front of 10 million people than send a cold email and get no as a response like that would just like destroy their soul to hear no or like putting your neck out there and it's like at the end of the day i mean the stakes aren't super high in my industry you know what i mean like yeah you hearing no from a producer that you admire isn't no one you know what I mean like it's yeah like, let's kind of get over ourselves for a quick second um, right but uh but yeah it is it is uh it's a skill that like you don't or I didn't I didn't learn or I was never told that it was a skill I suppose is the best way to best way to put it but it's just it's just
0: business to business type yeah networking so as you kind of get like to wrap in, to wrap in the show up today um do you have, or sorry, were you given a piece of advice or what is a piece of advice that you were given when you were younger that has stayed true as you've gotten older? Uh, like as far as like work goes or just in, yeah, you know? we can go, we can go in general, actually we can do both, but I feel you've answered that before
1: earlier. So. Um, let me just think about this one for a quick sec. um piece of advice there's the classic one like i heard it at a young age like you, if you do a job you love you'll never work a day in your life which like i believe for a while until you start running your own like small business it can be very hard yeah. <laughs> and, like, and then all of a sudden your the hobby that you used to love becomes like the bane of your existence um So maybe not that one, Um, but just give me a second here. I'll think of something. And like, it's so hard not to sound cheesy either. Oh, here's a great one. Um, uh, In 2002, I went to the NHL awards. I was in grade seven and I went to the NHL awards because I'm, I've been, I've had diabetes since I was 10. And the Canadian Diabetes Association used to, used to um, be the major sponsor of the NHL Awards gala. So there was a portion of like the cocktail hour that, or there was a dinner after something. I was in grade seven, so I didn't, I couldn't wrap my head around cocktail hours and galas yeah. and everything like that at that time. But I got to see all my hockey heroes, so it was like a grade 7's dream. It was insane. No kidding. Um, But anyway, the portion of the proceeds from that evening would go towards the Canadian Diabetes Association. Um, And I have a lot of respect for them. They do great work. I ended up working with them um, after I graduated from Acadia for a year. And they're good people doing honest work. And um, so anyway, long I was at the nhl awards and i met lanny mcdonald who won a stanley cup with the calgary flames no way um, yeah and he told me he just said dream big dreams because like he explained that like he was just a kid from the prairies or wherever he wherever lanny's from um kid from rural ontario i yeah let's fact check that i don't know exactly where he's from he's a kid from rural canada And now all of a sudden he is like a hockey icon. Oh, it's it's all because he believed in himself as a kid and did the thing that he loved every single day. Um, that whole, that whole week was like, if I can go back and think about like one specific, like life altering thing in my life, it was going there that week. And this was something that I only realized in like the last year or so, because, um, I was a presenter that evening like with Ron McLean, and on stage and it was the year that Canada had won at Salt Lake City so it was like I mean Jerome McGinley scored 50 that year it was incredible I sat next to Daryl Sittler whose son is also diabetic so like we hit it off that night like it was just I th- there's not enough time to tell the stories of that Nickelback was- like Nickelback <laughs> was the lie, like they were huge. Like how you're amazing is the biggest thing in Canadian music history that year. Um, and anyway, it showed me I met it wasn't like a one off, like I'm meeting a celebrity. I'm meeting like I met a hundred people that I've only ever seen on TV. I'm 11 years old. This is like the biggest holy shit 72 hours of my life. Yeah. But it was amazing how normalized it got and how quickly and how you, I saw the production of everything. I saw the dress rehearsal of everything. I was in the green room. I watched my dad have a beer with Scotty Bowman and Wayne Gretzky. Like all these crazy things happen, like in such a short period of time. And then you have all these people who are these, They're also seeing some of their hockey icons. You know what I mean? Like, so seventy-two hours just showed me it's like it is attainable. Like whatever it is, it is attainable as long as you like work your ass off, like these people did. Like there, this world exists. I guess was Mm -hmm. the biggest takeaway for me was like, I'm sure I left that weekend being like, I'm going to play in the NHL, and then that didn't happen. But (laughs) I found movies, but. Um, but seeing that environment was completely life-changing and wow. yeah. So then the rest of my life, I just always had that in the back of my mind that like, these people exist. It does happen. It Jeez. can be done. Yeah.
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah. And it's not often, I don't talk about the awards that often cause it's like rare that I'm like given an opportunity to speak about it cuz usually if i'm ever like in situations like these we're talking about movies and stuff so yeah thank you for having hey, me go down yeah, memory lane You're very but, welcome um yeah it was uh, it
0: was it was sick oh, that's incredible i yeah. can't oh man i'm trying to visualize myself in that scenario and like wow yeah to this wow. day it's the
1: most it's the most nervous i've ever been in my entire life like yeah, i was going to ask you see, It's the only time that I legitimately thought like two minutes before something, I was like, can I get out of this? Cause I think I'm going to throw up. Like, I I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. And then like actually walking on stage, nationally televised everything. And then I did it. I probably blacked out the whole time, but like, and then that was a lesson too. It's like, well, you can do it like yeah. you can do it you're here and you're doing it so yeah just a lot of life lessons I came out of, nice. out of that week and I was able to go I went to the show my dad and I my dad came up with me and my dad's a huge hockey fan like we just both had like the time of our at <laughs> the time of our lives that time and we always joke around that like I think it was my 19th no it wouldn't have been my 19th but when they changed it when they switched it to vegas now the nhl awards are always in vegas it's like that would have been cool if i was 19 and in vegas or 21 and in vegas but like yeah i'll take the 11 year old learning all those things and meeting these like absolute legends yeah. it
0: was it was nuts jeez man that's really cool yeah that's really cool so as we kind of come to the end, um, where can people, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Where can people read about you? Where can people see your films, hear from you? Uh, okay. red carpet's yours. Um,
1: yeah. Um, I'm just going to double check something super quick. Um, I always get my work Instagram mixed up whether like what the actual handle is, which is terrible. I don't run it anymore, which is great, but it's terrible that I don't know it. Um, okay okay um i you can follow along with PubCrawl crawl and anything that we're working on uh, on instagram it's at popular demand pictures um and then my personal instagram is at johnny man which is j-o-n-n-y-m-a-n-n
0: nice so i really appreciate you being able to do this um today i'm uh i'm a big fan of course thank you for having me yeah oh, no man. worries i'm a big fan i'm really glad i was able to uh talk with you pick your brain and i look forward to uh chat with you in the future so thank you very much for coming on the show yeah, John. anytime All super right, appreciate it thank you